Um, Today we're in the third week of our series simply titled One, and we've been talking for the last two weeks and going to continue for the next two, talking about this topic of unity and the importance of unity in the church and uh, the privilege that we have to be part of God's church, not only locally but globally, but specifically globally. God has called Synergy Church to be united, and we're united around a mission. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, and that mission is simple. It's to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. It's derived from the Great Commission where Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, gave a final instruction to his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. And then he promises that he'll be with them to the end of the age. And so we've got the promise that God's with us, and we've got this mission to go and make disciples. And because we want to stay focused on that, we chose to say that we exist to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And so those within the church are our whole hope and mission is that we can join together to reach new people. And once we reach them, we want to get them involved in helping reach new people because God's church is powerful. It's strong. It has a mission to carry out and it can't be stopped. That's the great news. The church can't be stopped. Uh, There's no legislation that can stop the church. There's no movement of people that can stop the church. Jesus's church will prevail. Uh, God promised Peter that on on Peter, he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. So we have this honor to be united as a church. And for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about what that looks like. And we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've been in Romans chapter 12, we've been in Ephesians chapter 4, all talking about this theme based on an illustration that Paul gives us that the church, our church specifically, we can take from this, is one body with many parts. And just as you have one body with many parts, the church, our church, is one body with many parts. And so we talked for the last couple of weeks about the importance of each part doing their job, functioning in their role. That there is no part of our local body of the church that is unimportant. Uh, there's no part of our body that um, isn't critical to what God's called us to do. And so we're challenging one another to make sure we're doing our part. And then last week we took it a step further and we talked about the fact that we need to have an appropriate attitude or heart when it comes to doing our part. That we shouldn't look around at others to see what other people are doing to base what we do and what other people do, but we should function in the role God's called us to as we're united together for that purpose. Now today, we're going to kind of finish this train of thought. And we're going to finish this train of thought. Um, Let me say two things about this. Next week, we're finishing this series, but today we're finishing this train of thought. Uh, Next week, we're going to go in a different direction with this series, and you don't want to miss it. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about sex and oneness, and so um, you want to be here for that. It's going to be a really special day, and it's going to be really helpful uh, to all of you who are married and all of you who are not married and hope to be married. It's going to be a really important day, so make sure you're here next week. But today, we're going to finish this train of thought on unity in our church specifically, and we're going to finish by talking about why we want to be united and why it's important for us to be united. We've talked about what it looks like. Now we want to talk about why and the importance of unity and the potential that we have as a church to change the world. I believe that. So uh, I'm going to start with a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter number 11. And um, I'm going to kind of go to a couple of different places in scripture and, and, and kind of bring us all to the same page. And then I'm going to challenge us at the end. Genesis chapter number 11, starting in verse number 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. 
The entire world at this time had one language and a common speech. They were unified in the way they spoke. The language they spoke was the same. It's important for us as a church to have a unified language, to talk the same language, to know that what we're saying is the same and we're serving towards a collective purpose. This is interesting. Verse number two, as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this group of people who spoke a common language, who were unified in the way they spoke as they moved eastward, eastward, they settled in a plain. They decided for themselves that they wanted to build a city where they could build a name for themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we as a church adhere to this because we don't want to build a name for ourselves. We serve one name. That's the name of Jesus. And we want to build his name, not our name. But for the sake of this purpose, I want you to see something. These people decided they wanted to build a city for themselves, including a tower that reached the heavens. Now, can you build a tower that reaches the heavens? No, you can't, right? You cannot build a tower to reach the heavens. So obviously they were metaphorically speaking here. They wanted to build a large tower, maybe a skyscraper or what that looked like. But I want you to notice God's reaction to this group of people with a common language and a common mission. Verse number five. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them do you notice that that God saw a group of people with a common language and a common mission and his perspective of what they were attempting was that nothing that they were trying to do would be impossible he said they'll build a tower to heaven if I don't stop them they'll make their name great and they'll forget about the name of God. Now, this should be encouraging to us as a church because God sees potential in groups of people who, when united, can accomplish impossible things, right? You can't build a tower to heaven, but God, God said nothing would be impossible for them because they were united, They spoke the same language. They had the same mission. They were on the same page. They served and worked together. They were focused. They weren't distracted. And they were making progress. And God saw the progress, and he said, I've got to do something, because nothing that they set out to do will be impossible. So the Lord, so verse number seven, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So this unified group of people had potential to accomplish the impossible. Now, their mission wasn't a godly mission, so God stopped them. And the way he stopped them was by causing them to speak a different language causing them to not be able to communicate and stay on the same page. And then he began to scatter them over the earth. They lost focus on their language. They lost focus on their mission. And then the impossible was out of reach for them. That was God's plan for them. But for the church, we're one body. We're many parts. We have one mission. 
and why I think it's important for us to be unified as a church, locally, Synergy Church, is because we cannot accomplish the impossible alone. But together, I'm foolish enough to believe that just as God saw a, a world that was unified and said there's nothing impossible for them, I think that we can accomplish impossible things for God's glory if we will serve and work together and be unified and speak the same language and have the same heart with the same mission and the same focus to accomplish things. Again, that mission for us is to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And until everyone in Barrow County and beyond knows the hope of the message of the gospel of Jesus, our mission isn't over. And we've got to stay focused on that. We've got to stay unified in that. There's great potential for us. There's great potential for us as a church to accomplish impossible things for God, but it can only happen with unity, with unity. Now let's go to the New Testament, Acts chapter number two, and I want us to see a different group of people with the same mission as we've been given as a church, if you will. Acts chapter number two, starting in verse number one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. They were unified. Who is they? Let's, let's get some background here. Let's kind of get on the same page. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he began to show himself. He walked the earth for 40 days. He began to show himself to his disciples. He began to prove that he was alive, and he began to unite the church that became scattered when he was crucified. And he gave them a an instruction, a word of instruction before he left. And that word of instruction was, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised. Okay, so they're together in one place because they're, they've been instructed by Jesus before he ascended into heaven. They were instructed to wait for the gift of the father that would be sent to them. Now, this is important for us to understand that we're talking about um, Acts 1.15 identifies that there are about 120 men that are waiting together. So these are Jesus' disciples and closest followers, and these are people on uh, a festival called Pentecost where people from all over the world would have come to Jerusalem to honor this festival. So there are people that speak different languages. There are people from different nations. There are people that aren't totally unified all together in the city of Jerusalem for this feast called Pentecost. And in this feast called Pentecost, there's a group of about 120 and Jesus has instructed them to wait for the gift that the father has promised them. And so we see them doing that. They're unified all together in one place. And suddenly, as they were together in that state of unity, Luke, the writer of Acts, goes on to tell us that suddenly a sound like a rushing mighty wind came into the room where they were. It was an upper room. And so in this upper room, uh, this sound of a rushing wind came and tongues of fire descended from heaven and settled on those 120. They began to speak in different languages. They began to speak in other tongues other than they naturally spoke in. And uh, word got out. People began to hear these people speaking in different languages and they began to ask questions. And as they began to ask questions, Peter, if you'll remember Peter in the story of Jesus was the one who denied Jesus three times just months before this occurrence. And Peter stands up with the 11, the other closest 
disciples of Jesus and begins to explain to the people that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy that a prophet named Joel had prophesied. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. An incredible, an incredible thing took place. And the 120 were all together in one place before it happened. The reason that we as a church need to be unified, the reason that we as a church need to pursue unity, need to hold on to unity, you need to fight for unity is because not only does God see the potential in us to accomplish the impossible when we're united, but God moves in unified people. God moves through unified people. He moves through unity. Unity is the formula for God's blessing and movement in the church. A church that is not united, the scripture says, a house divided cannot stand. And so those 120 people are unified. They have one mind. They're in one accord. They're all waiting for God to send this promised gift to them. And in that state, in the midst of their waiting, while they're unified, God begins to move in them. And it wasn't just for the people inside the room. The people inside the room began to allow the gift that God had given them to spill outside of the doors. And literally 3,000 people in one day came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and went from death to life and received hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And it's simply because a group of people were unified and they simply believed that if they had the same mindset, if they had the same heart, if they were all together then they could accomplish impossible things and God could move through them. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to kind of get a little personal with Synergy Church, those of us who call Synergy Church home. So if you're a guest here today, maybe this is your first time with us, uh, this will be good for you to hear some insight into our church and kind of get on the same page as to where we are. But for those of you who call Synergy Church home, and maybe you've been with us over the last nine months, you'll know that we're in a season that's ending an initiative by which we as a church have been praying and asking God to double our church. Now, when we say that we've been praying and asking God to double our church, the heart behind that is not the world in, first, in Genesis chapter number 11 to make a name for ourselves, to build a reputation. It's because we have a heart to see more and more people reached. And we, we've identified that if we have more people, if we have more resources, if we have greater potential for God to use us, then we can reach more and more people. If we have double the number of people inviting people, then chances are more people will come and hear the message of the hope of the gospel. And so uh, almost nine months ago, we set out with this initiative. We called it X2, and we asked God to double our church. If you'll remember in those days, we introduced that one of the strategies that we wanted to implement in order to see God double our church was that we wanted to go to two worship experiences. And so Nearly nine months ago, we went to two worship experiences at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we're coming to the conclusion of that season by ending with this series called One, and we're rejoining together to one worship experience. Now, let me kind of catch you up on where we are. In case you're wondering, especially if you've been with us for some time, uh, we have not doubled our church. We have not doubled the eight different goals from finances to guests to salvations to baptisms to uh, attendance. Um, there's a lot of goals that we set, and we haven't doubled any of them. Okay, so I wanted to kind of get us on the same page and let us know 
that we have not accomplished X2, okay? In fact, on my shoulders, I would say that X2 has been a failure, a failure. And you say, why has it been a failure? And the reason I say it's been a failure is because we didn't accomplish our goal. If you set out to run a marathon and you don't finish the marathon, did you succeed or did you fail? You fail. It's not, it's not difficult. I know this seems, it's not difficult. We, we didn't accomplish our goal, okay? And that's okay. That's okay. Um, you need to know this about me as a pastor, okay? I, I, I'm a risk taker. I'm someone who will try something that I believe God's called us to do because I'm just foolish enough to believe that God can do the impossible in us and through us, okay? I left security and comfort to start this church, and I plan for the life of this church to be as obedient to God as I can and be willing to leave comfort areas and risk things to see God do things because I believe that that's the ground that he cultivates to use and accomplish great things. So this has been a failure, but I've learned a lot through this. And I think that our church has learned a lot through this. And, and I want to share with us just one takeaway today from X2 that I think that we as a church can, can learn from and can take with us as we move forward into the future as we seek to do all that God's called us to do. X2 was a dream that began in my heart. I was praying one day, and I felt like God said, you need to lead your church on an initiative to try to double your church. Try to double your church. And so we, had a, a, we have a staff here at the church, and we had a meeting, and I shared this dream. And we began X2 with a staff that was united around this mission, this initiative. And we believed that God had called us to do this, and we set out to do it. And we had meetings, and we shared with people what we're going to do. And we had a fourfold plan, and we began to, to move in that direction. And what we found is that we didn't all move in the same direction, okay? Now, I'm going to say a few things here, and you need to understand something. Um, there is no finger pointing going on. I just want to point out some, some truths that we can take away from where we are as a church and move forward and hopefully see God do impossible things in us and through us. When we began X2, there were some people who were really excited about it. And you know what? There were some people that weren't so excited about it. From the very beginning, I can't say that we as a church had a completely unified heart and mindset going forward. And you know who takes responsibility for that? That's me. So if I'm leading people on a mission and not everybody agrees on where we're going, it's going to be hard to get there. Do you agree? Is that, is that simple mindset for us to get? So Someone asked me the other day, do you kind of regret X2? Do you regret going to two worship experiences because it hasn't worked? You know, they were kind of trying to check. Are you still, you know, are you, are you still encouraged? Are you still at a good place? They were kind of trying to figure out my, my health and my mindset in the midst of this. And I said, and you need to know this too. I said, when I was a freshman in college, my grandmother had cancer. And I prayed fervently for God to heal my grandmother. I prayed that he would take the cancer away, that he would heal her body, that he would restore her health, and that she would be completely made whole. And I prayed that prayer hundreds of times until the day she died. And on the day that she died, I accepted the fact that my grandmother wasn't going to be healed on this earth, but man, she was up in heaven. She's dancing around with a new body, okay? And I had a mindset to completely believe that God was going to heal my grandmother. And you know what? I feel the exact same way about our church and this initiative called X2. I believe that God 
called our church to go on this mission, and we've still actually got a few weeks left, and part of me just says, how cool would it be if just people flooded in the next couple of weeks, and we actually say we accomplished our goal, but the truth is, is we believe that we've failed at that goal, but would I do it again? Absolutely. Why would I do it again? Because I believe God called us to do it in my whole heart. Are there things that we've done differently? Absolutely. We've learned a lot of things about it, but I am so convinced that that's where God was leading our church that that's why we went. That's why we went. It wasn't a magic formula. I talked to pastors who had done it and it worked. I talked to pastors who had done it and it didn't work. More worked than not worked and I just, I thought we should do it. But here's, here's the deal and here's the takeaway. Through the life of X2, I saw that there were people in our church who literally would rise up and do more than they've ever done in our church. Man, I saw people serve more than they've ever served in our church. In fact, the number of volunteers that serve at our church didn't double, but it was the greatest increase that we saw. It grew by about 50%. So it didn't grow by 100%, so we didn't double, but it grew by about 50%. And we saw more people in our church serve through X2 than we ever have in the history of our church. And I felt like, man, that's a great step forward for us as a church. That was a great thing for us to see happening. And I saw people in our church who didn't serve a whole lot begin to serve more. And I saw people in our church who served a lot, who served an incredible amount. And the truth is, there was a lot more that had to be done. We had two worship experiences. We needed double the volunteers. We needed double the positions filled. And it was difficult And as time grew on and we didn't see the numbers come in, we didn't see our church double, people started getting tired. They started thinking things like, why are we even doing this? I heard that there were some people that began to ask questions. Why are we even doing this anymore? It's pointless. We're trying to do something and it's not working. We should just quit now. And as I saw people rise and begin to serve more and embrace this mission to do all they could do, to accomplish in our church. I saw people in our church who used to serve a lot that began to serve less. And I began to see people who served a little begin to serve none. And as I look back, here's what I can attribute, is that we did not have complete unity in this initiative through the life of our church. Now, I'm not saying that those who served more are the victors through this, and those who serve less are, are to blame for us not doing it. Not at all. That's not the thing. It's simply an observation that our hearts weren't united in this initiative. Okay, let's just, let's just agree to that. That's just a simple truth, and no one's mad at anybody. Nobody's pointing fingers. We as a church need to learn that it's important for us not only to have a vision to do great things, but before we even accomplish great things, we have to be united that there has to be a sense of unity. And I learned as a leader that it's more important for me to focus on the unity before pursuing the vision than it is to just set out for the vision and hope people get on board. So I've learned some things. I hope you learned some things. But those of you who served more and did greater, let me just tell you something that, that that does for me as a pastor. One of the most difficult things that I do as a pastor, one of the most difficult job descriptions that I have is to hear from God and to lead a church. And we have to lead a church in a direction. 
And when people come to me and say, you know what, I will do anything that it takes for us to do what God wants to do, that just gives me a confidence as a leader that God's with me, that I'm not just hearing things in my head, that there are people who actually believe in what God's called us to do, even if it doesn't work. So I want you to know that as a church, what we need to do is we need to have a sense by which we come together and start at a base level and say, you know what, together we will accomplish more. There's nothing impossible for us if we're together, and together God can move in us and through us, and we'll see him do incredible things. But we've got to be together. Now, you say, what does that, what does that look like? And, and I want you to understand what that looks like. I've got a, a simple illustration here that hopefully will work. Um, if it doesn't, then we'll scratch it, and I'll say what should have worked, and you'll pretend that it did. Can we, can we get on that same page together? I need a student, a student. This would be a sixth grader through a 12th grader who would say they're, they're fairly strong. They have, they have some strength. It doesn't matter who. I just need somebody to volunteer. I will, I will pick someone if no one comes. Come on up, Kristen. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Kristen Baxter, she is one of our phenomenal students who has been with us pretty much from the beginning and has served tirelessly in this church. I'm going to give you some balloon ribbon here. Is that what it's called? Balloon string, balloon ribbon? Now, I want you to hold this while I read a scripture. Okay? Let's turn and face everybody. Everybody see this balloon ribbon? Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Starting in verse number nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Verse 11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So Kristen, you've got a strand. Okay, that's a strand. That strand represents a life. It could be any of our lives, but it represents our life alone. Not connected to anyone, not united in purpose or mission. And Kristen, in all your power and strength, I want you to simply try to break that balloon string. Does it matter where my hands are? Is it? No, you can just, just use like your hands. Just, like just break it. Congratulations, that was good. That's awesome. So what we see here is that one strand alone isn't, isn't very powerful, right? Not very powerful. Now, here's where we're going to go with this. We're going to take three different strands. This could take a while, but I'm going to talk us through it. It's going to be good. All right. If you can uh, cut that for me there. Love that. I'm going to tie this knot here. And this is simply going to represent three lives that are united together. Okay? Now, I'm going to take this a step further. Okay? I want to ask you to hold that side. As a church, part of me wants to do this because I don't know if you know this, but my wife and I are expecting our first daughter. First daughter in about four weeks. Four weeks from the day is her due date. And so we're excited about that. Um, and we've spent time this weekend uh, getting the nursery ready and decorating and all that kind of good stuff. And so I'm kind of in the, like, I want to see what kind of dad I can be. And so I'm going to braid this. Oh, my. Okay? 
So you guys just bear with me. What I'm taking here is I'm taking three lives, and I'm taking these three lives, and I'm braiding them together, okay? Meaning that they're not just side by side. They're not just, you know, in facing the same direction. They're not simply um, existing beside one another, but they're actually joined, okay? And they're joined in a sense that um, there is a complex ingredient that holds them together, and that's called a braid. It's a type of uh, something you do for hair that hopefully I will not have to do much of in my parenthood, my fatherhood. Okay? So we're rocking and rolling, and we're getting this three strands united together into one cord. Okay? So we're moving from a strand to a cord as uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who was actually a king named Solomon, he was considered the wisest man on the earth. He's actually writing this as he's reflecting over his life. And as he's reflecting over his life, he's noticing that there are a lot of things that are meaningless. Uh, attaining wealth is meaningless. It's just a lot of things that he says are meaningless in and of themselves. And so he's writing here of the importance of being united with people and not living life alone and having a sense of togetherness and purpose and living life together. And hopefully I can end this here with a knot and we can allow you to demonstrate that it is more difficult to break a strand. Now, it's not bad, is it? I got a little practice to do, but it's not bad. You had one strand and you broke it pretty easily, okay? Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that it's not broken quickly, but we're gonna see, I want you with all your strength just to go ahead and break that right in half. No. Just use your hands, I mean, don't use your teeth and start gnawing on it. Just go ahead and break that, yep, come on. Now, Kristen, I don't know if you know this about Kristen, but she's into CrossFit, and uh, she's actually probably stronger than me. There you go. Look. Hey. That's awesome. Everybody give Kristen a hand. Sweet. Okay, you can go. Thank you so much. That was excellent. Now, no, no, no. She broke it, right? She broke it, but she didn't break it quickly meaning it took intentional effort to try to break it. It didn't just happen. It wasn't just wear and tear. It wasn't just everyday occurrences that began to pull the thing apart. She worked and she strained and she tried with all of her strength to break it apart. Now, there are two types of people that I believe exist in our church. And my goal is for you to be one type of person. I believe that there are unity builders and there are unity breakers. That there are people who can build unity into our church, and there are people who can break unity in our church. That there are people who can unbraid cords or can pull with all their might to try to hinder and stop the progress of the church. Now, you say, I would never intentionally try to do that. I don't know. There might be some people who would. I don't assume that there are any in our church who intentionally try to break the unity of our church. But it's important for us to understand that if we're not building unity, if we're not intentionally trying to stay connected, if we're not trying to encourage one another to be part of what God's doing, if we're not trying to point people in the same direction, when people, one of the greatest reasons that churches become 
uh, disoriented and they began to lose unity. As we were looking at in Ephesians 4, it goes on to say that we should do everything without murmuring and complaining, without groaning and complaining, that it's possible for people to not like the direction that things are going in. And rather than wrestling with that on the inside, they wrestle with that on the outside. And when we begin to wrestle with things on the outside, then what we can do is we begin to affect people around us. And we can either help people move in the right direction or we can cause people not to move in the right direction. And as a church, what's most important for us is to make a decision to say that we're moving in a direction that's based on a mission. And if we don't agree with that completely, then maybe there's conversations that we need to have with people in private. And maybe for some people, it means that they might need to leave and go to another church. We would never want that to happen. But if we're going to be effective as a church, we've got to move in the right direction. And when we're confronted with opportunities to see disunity in the church, to see the cord becoming unbraided, it's important for us to decide in our mind, are we going to be a unity builder or are we going to be a unity breaker? Are we going to try to collectively build unity and strength into what we're doing so that we can accomplish the impossible and allow God to move through us? Or are we going to allow disunity to happen or even take part in pulling at the cord or unbraiding the strands? It's a simple thing. And my heart for us as a church is that we would be a church that's unity builders. That there are always going to be things as in any organization that will rub you the wrong way, that you don't agree with. Can we just, let's be honest. If I were to ask right now, don't put your hands up. If I were to ask right now, how many of you thought the music was too loud this morning? Do you know what? There would be some hands that would go up. And if I said to you, how many of you thought that the music volume was great? There would be some hands that would go up. Okay? We aren't going to be completely unified about everything, but... Would it be possible for someone to go around on a campaign and say, you know what, I think the music's too loud and what we need to do is we need to start a petition. If we can get enough signatures on this petition, we can take it to the pastor and we can tell them we ain't going to stand for this any longer and we ain't going to put up with this any longer and you're going to turn those drums down and you're going to do some ungodly thing and get some electronic drums and kind of, I don't know, churches do that. You know churches do that. And it's because people get together and they say, we don't like this about the church and so we're going to get enough people on our side and we're going to prove that we're right and then we'll change things. Right? And here's my promise to you. Here's my promise to you. Our church is always going to be changing because I believe that healthy things grow and growing things change. And if our church isn't changing, it means that our church isn't growing. If our church isn't growing, it means our church isn't healthy. And I want our church to be healthy so that it can grow. And if it grows, it means it's going to have to change. And just so you know, there will come a day that we will go back to two worship experiences. Why? Not because we're trying to initiate something that God's going to do in our midst, but because we're not going to have room for everybody. We're not. There's going to come a day where we will have to go to two worship experiences. And when that day comes, there can be people who might not like it. You say, well, I don't see people as much as I used to see people. And we're going to have to be reminded, hey, why are we doing what we're doing? And it's to reach people. And if we're going to reach people, we've got to be together on this. And I might not like the volume of the music, but it isn't something that's going to stop me from participating in the mission. And I might not like some change that comes, but it's not enough for me to leave the mission and take people with me. And I want us as a church to be a church that's united. And though there are things that rub us the wrong way and we don't completely agree with, those are things that we can get beyond because the mission is greater than our opinion. 
The mission is greater than our perception, and the mission is greater than our preference. And we have to be a church that dies to self so that we can make Christ be glorified. And if we'll be that church, then we can accomplish great things. And I want to end with this last passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. This is, again, this is Paul, uh, who we've been reading a lot of his letters to churches lately. He says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, a repeat of the verse we looked at last week. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How should we forgive? Well, that's completely. Because Jesus forgave you completely. And he died so that you could receive forgiveness. And if there's ever any friction, if there's ever any things that go on that rub you the wrong way, then we have to bear with one another in love and patience. And we have to forgive one another. And we have to keep moving in the right direction. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love. We love one another. You love your mom and dad. You love your children. You love your brothers and sisters. But there's times you fault. But that love is what? It's what keeps you together. And when that love is breached, that's when families fall apart. Because love binds us together in perfect unity. And if we're a church that loves one another, then we're going to be a united church because we're willing to forgive. We're patient with one another. We bear with one another through difficult situations. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And be thankful. As members of one body, you were called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and special songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And here it is. Here's where we're ending this section of this series on. And whatever you do, whether you park cars in the parking lot, whether you change diapers, whether you play music, whether you preach on a stage, whether you give financially, whether you're in a group, whether you come to a growth track class, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever your part is in the body, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are privileged to be part of a body. And it's a body that's making a difference. It's supporting the head, which is Christ. And we serve the mission that the church has been given by Jesus. And that's to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And the first week we asked this question, what is your part? Because we're all a part of the body. The second week, we asked the question, how's your heart? Because we said the attitude affects how we do our part. And today, I want to simply end by asking you, are you a unity builder or a unity breaker? A unity builder or a unity breaker? What's your part? How's your heart? And are you willing to be a unity builder? And if so... Man, I'm just naive enough to think that God can do some incredible things. As I look out this morning, I flash back four years ago to a room full of about 15 people. And I say, look what God has done through us. And I can only envision what God wants to do through us 
But before we can head down that road, we've got to make sure that we're on the same page. And so I want to say thank you for being a unity builder. Thank you for believing in the mission enough. Thank you for trusting in the heart of God for this church enough that you will do your part with the right attitude as you build unity along the way and we will not be quickly broken as a church if we'll stand together. And as cords begin to get braided together, I think that there's nothing that will be impossible for us as a church. Can I pray for us, please? Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for your heart for the church. Thank you that you love the church, and I just want to say that I love my church. I am so thankful that you called me to be a small part in this movement called Synergy Church, and that you have assembled a group of people here in Barra County that love our community enough that we want to reach people with the hope of the message of the gospel of Jesus. And we want to see lives transformed. And we understand that we have to be unified if that's going to happen. And so I want to ask you right now to unite our church, to bind us together with love, to give us a perfect peace, that we would be a church that's patient and bears with one another. And we forgive one another. And we don't allow indifferences to become divisions. And we quickly unify things by building unity rather than breaking unity and would you just grant us a spirit empowered movement by which we see you do incredible things thanks for what we've learned over the last nine months thanks that even in the midst of our failures you care deeply about us and you want to see us do great things and I believe that you even want to teach us things in the midst of our failures so that we can fail forward instead of quitting in the midst of our failures. And we're a church that's growing. We're a church that's doing great things for you through your spirit. And it's all for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. And for that, I am so thankful. I ask your blessing on our church. And I pray that you would do the impossible in our midst. In Jesus' name, I pray.